The Electronic Intifada. Intifada. Intifada Electronic. Intifada Electronica. This is the Electronic Intifada Podcast. In Oakland, I'm Nora Barrows Friedman. You're listening to the Electronic Intifada Podcast. In the early morning hours of July 23rd, 21-year-old U.S. college student Nardine Kiswani was denied entry into Palestine by Israeli authorities at the Allenby Crossing, which connects the West Bank to Jordan. Kiswani, who has been the president of Students for Justice in Palestine, or SJP, at CUNY Staten Island in New York, was interrogated by Israeli officers about her political beliefs and affiliation with SJP, and was eventually denied entry based on, as they told her, hostile behavior towards Israel. I spoke with Kiswani via Skype from her relative's home in Amman, Jordan, and asked her to tell us what exactly happened and how this has affected her activism. So if you could actually just introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself, your family history, and where your family is from in Palestine. Uh, my name is Nardine. Um, my parents are both from Beit Iksa in Palestine. It's a village that was once considered to be a part of Jerusalem. Um, even on my grandma's passport, it says that she was born in Jerusalem. Uh, but after, you know, 1948 or 67, um, like they kept switching what it was considered to be a part of. Currently now it's behind the wall. So it's in the West Bank. It's not 48. Um, both my grandparents were born in Palestine. My father was also born in Bethiksa, but he left before 67 um, and interestingly enough, even though they were born, my grandma and my father were born in the exact same place, his passport says that he was born in the West Bank, while hers says Jerusalem. Um, we don't carry any type of Palestinian ID. My father wasn't able to get a Hawiya, and neither was I. My mom is also from the same village, Bethiksa, in, in Palestine, but she was born in Jordan. Um, from all the problems that kept occurring there... Uh, my entire family eventually relocated to Jordan, and I was born in Jordan in 1994, but I moved to the U.S. when I was still a baby, less than two years old. Um, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. I'm currently a college student at the City University of New York, um, and I'm very involved in Palestine solidarity activism. Um, on two of the college campuses that I attend, both Hunter College and the College of Staten Island, since I'm in a special program at CUNY where I can take classes at multiple campuses. Nardine, uh, you've also been the president of Students for Justice in Palestine at CUNY Staten Island in New York, as you mentioned. You've been involved in many direct actions and demonstrations. Um, we reported back in October that you were actually physically assaulted, punched in the stomach by, by someone and your Palestinian flag was snatched from your hands during a, a demonstration to protest the Israeli basketball team's game with the Brooklyn Nets at New York City's Barclays Center. Um, but you haven't stopped organizing, and, and your, your activism in support of Palestinians' rights and support of your own rights was brought up as being a reason they denied you entry to Palestine a couple of weeks ago. Tell us what happened in as much detail as you're able or willing. I know it's really traumatic and painful, so I really appreciate you talking about your experience. Thank you. Um, they actually specifically mentioned the Barclays Center, what happened there. Um, but the way that the 
uh, border patrol officer or whatever, I don't know the correct terminology for what he was, brought it up was it was as if like I beat somebody up. Not as if I was the victim, but as if I was the perpetrator. Um, and, and they used that as long as well as my activism. Like they specifically mentioned CSI and SJP like um, as a reason to deny me. But starting from the beginning, um, I went around 11 a.m. Uh, in the morning, um, 11 a.m. Um, and I was there until 2 a.m. So the whole process started was I went through one initial screening outside of Allenby and it was 111 degrees uh, standing between dozens and dozens of people, probably hundreds of people um, in the grueling heat. And they would very slowly like take their time um, checking everyone's passport while, while they know like they know everyone's on top of each other. They know everyone's like really like it's really hot. It's really uncomfortable. People are trying to get in. People, you know, like are, are trying to finish by a certain time. But, you know, Israel obviously doesn't care. They're taking their sweet time. And it just felt like they, they're just, I don't know how to explain it. But it kind of just felt like they really don't want us to want to go to Palestine. Like they make the experience as difficult um, and as hard as possible. So it's not very appealing in the first place to go through Allenby. It's considered hell by so many people. So um, for the initial screening, uh, they let me in inside the actual um, inside the actual building, and then in there I had to wait uh, in another line for a long time. Um, I was with I actually bumped into someone that I knew from New York with their family. Um, once at once we went in. To the, to the second place where they checked your passport, they let that person's entire family in. Um, and even though I was with them, they told me that I had to have a seat um, and the, that they're going to ask me some questions later on. So I just, even though I was going to go into Palestine with that person's family, um, I don't want to give too much information just so they don't, um, yeah, of course. you know, like tie them to me. Um, I told them to leave because this happened to me before I went to Palestine and 2013 and 2014. Um, and thir- in 2013, I was with my parents. In 2014, I was with my grandmother. And both times, they kept us for a really long time and asked us questions. So I told them to just go ahead without me because I was probably going to take a long time. Um, after I had a seat, I waited over an hour and they didn't tell me why I was stopped and why I was told to take a seat. Um, so I went up and I started asking people uh like, why, why am I sitting down? Why, why are they keeping me? Like, can anyone let me know what's going on? Because everyone else who was stopped, like me, for a secondary screening was, like, let go way before me. So, like, a bunch of people were stopped after me, and they were all eventually given back their passports and, and were told to continue except for me. So they just told me to wait again. I waited another half an hour, and I asked again. I was told to wait again. Um, and then a few minutes later, someone came... Uh, and they asked me where I'm going, who I'm visiting, and why I'm going. So I told them I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm visiting my aunt who lives there. Um, and I'm just going, you know, to see to see the country for tourist reasons and also just to see my family. Um, they told me to have a seat again and wait again. I was asked if I have any weapons, anything that looks like a weapon, if anyone else packed my bags for me. And obviously, 
I answered no to all these questions. And it was kind of bizarre to, to me that they asked me these questions in the first place because they have all my luggage. They check it through all these machines. They have all this advanced technology. But it just seems kind of psychological that they want to take you to a corner and ask you, like, such bizarre question questions. Like, who's trying to go through Alibi with weapons with them, you know? Yeah. Um, so... Then they were they gave my passport to the people at the second um, the second line that I went through where where you go through like a metal detector and everything and they check your like personal belongings. So they gave them my passport and they told me to stand there. They had a puffer machine to check for like traces of explosives uh, or whatever like chemical or or explosive things. Um, they checked my passport with that all my personal belongings. Um, it was clear they gave it back to me uh and i and i walked through um like there's a third line that you go through and you give them your passport so i went and waited in that line again and he looked at the person there looked at my passport and told me to have a seat again um and that i had to wait and they were going to ask me some questions so it it, it was a very long time. Like, I honestly kind of, like, lost track of time because um, by the time I was let into that point, it was maybe around 3 p.m. And it felt like every two hours they'd come in to question me for two minutes. And it would always be, like, the same kind of questions but kind of, you know, altered um, the same sequence. And sometimes they, they'd, they'd become more, like aggressive with their questioning um like it, it was a very clear tactic you know it's something that I've been through before they know all the answers but uh like for example even if I was with my grandma or my parents the years before they'd split us apart and ask us the same exact questions to see if we have our story straight and they'd ask us it in different ways at different times but this time on my own um they they were much more severe and aggressive with it because I guess maybe they didn't have someone else to uh, double cross the questions with. Uh, they asked me the same questions again. Where are you going to Jerusalem? Why are you coming here? And I would tell them the same thing to visit my aunt, also to see the country. Who do you know? Um, I would tell them, you know, my aunt and, and her son and, and their family. Where do they live? I would tell them the area in Jerusalem. What's their phone number? I gave them the phone number, the ID number, every information, uh, like all the information that they would need to verify it. Um, so they came back later and they asked me about my aunt's son. They asked me, who is this person? What relationship do they have to your aunt? And everything I would answer their question. What's your aunt's name? I would answer them. What's her husband's name? Uh, is she your aunt from your mom or your dad's side? So um, actually... In Arabic, when I when I when we the way we speak about like my father's aunt or my mother's aunt, like we just say my aunt. That's just how it is. We don't make the distinction like oh my father's aunt. So to me, it was just very natural to answer like that. So when I told him actually she's my father's aunt, he seemed kind of taken aback. He started to ask me questions like how old is she specifically, and I didn't know the exact age. She's old. She's around like sixty or seventy years old. And when I when I said that. He's like, you don't know, you're coming to visit her and you don't know how old she is. Um, and they got more aggressive. What's the purpose of your trip? Uh, and I would answer the same exact thing. Where are you from? I would tell them New York. 
where do you go to school? I answered, um, CUNY, what are you studying? International relations and human rights. And when I said that, he kind of gave me like a wary look and kind of scoffed at it. Um, and then asked if I volunteer for any organizations, which I don't like SJP is not like a <laughs> organization that you volunteer with. So I said, no, um, are you political? I answered not really to that because I mean, what else am I supposed to answer? It would have just opened up a whole string of things. Um, and do you go to any protests or rallies? I also answered no to that as well for obvious reasons. Um, he came back later and he was holding a paper in his hand and it said CSI SJP on it. So I knew he knew and I had to be smarter about the way I answered things. Um, I couldn't lie about it. He asked if I had another passport, which I do. I have a Jordanian and an American passport. He took both and asked me why I have two last names since on, on each one it, it kind of differs. And um, it's just a common thing. A lot of immigrants, when they go to America, they kind of like, I mean, my 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 first name isn't even spelled right. Like it's 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 really messed up on my um, birth certificate because my it's it's not my parents' native language. You know, they were just coming to another country, and um, you know, they just put anything. It, it's not like they're they're both my last name. It's just one is more of like a family name. One is more immediate. Um, and they asked me if I was political again. I said, that's a very broad and vague question. What do you mean by that? Um, and then he brought up, he said, so you said you're not political before. What is this club that you're president of? And I told him SJP was kind of like a club for Palestinian students. Um, you know, they talk about human rights and, uh, and they have cultural events sometimes and things like that, which is, which is all true. Um, and... Then he said, do you recall someone getting beat up at a certain basketball game? Uh, so I told him, yeah, I was at a basketball game and I was attacked. I had my Palestinian flag uh, taken. I, I had uh, like a Palestinian flag taken away from me that I wasn't even putting out. Um, and then when I went home, I heard on the news that the, the person who attacked me was... Uh, was attacked themselves, but I had nothing, but that was after the fact, and I had absolutely nothing to do with it. Um, so he left, he told me to wait, but at that point, I knew they knew about everything that I was involved in, and I was really terrified. Um, like he could hear my voice probably shaking. I was made to wait again, and I waited for hours. At this point, I thought they knew all they wanted to know. Uh, everything was out there already. And I thought worst case scenario would be like they would let me in, but um, I wouldn't be able to go all over where I wanted to. Um, and it started to and it started to get really late anyway. I thought there's no way they're gonna keep me here until it closes just to send me back. If if they're if they already made the decision not to let me in, they would just tell me and not let me in, and I could leave. But unfortunately, that's not how it happened. Um, so they kept me around to around closing time to deny me. Uh, they, like, even after they closed, they made us, like, the few remaining people there get our bags, uh, our luggage from the other, like, the end of Alibi, and we brought it back to this other room, and they made us wait there um, for a few more hours. They were very loud and rude when they moved us. They just started screaming 
without giving, without like telling anyone any, any information. It's not like they asked us to get our items and we didn't listen and they screamed. No, but that's just the way they spoke to us. They just started yelling, go get your bags, come here, do this, do that. There was no place for us to charge our phones. Uh, my phone was the only means of communication that I had with my family. I was traveling alone. Uh, I was supposed to meet friends uh, in Palestine. And if it didn't go right, and if I was sent back, I would have to reach out to my family in Amman to, to come pick me up um, from Alambai. But there was no place for us to charge our phones. I couldn't use it because I wanted to keep the battery. Uh, there was no place to drink water for free. They didn't like offer water to anybody or food. They were selling items like snacks and water, but um, the the place where they were selling it at closed way before, um, like it closed a lot, like way way before, like they let they made us wait a long time after it closed. So if you were hungry, uh, if you were thirsty, there was nothing you could do. Um, I was fine, but there were families there waiting that had children with them, babies that were crying, nothing to eat, nothing to drink, um, you know, young kids. And a lot of the people that were waiting with me also had foreign passports. There were a lot of people from the U.S., um, someone from Norway, I believe, someone from the U.K. So a lot of the people that they made to wait um, the longest had uh, some of them had like some political like background, but um, almost everyone had a passport to a different country, and a lot of them were mostly like Western countries. After after closing, like I thought they would, at, I would at least know by midnight whether I was gonna be let in or not, uh, because that's when they close. How can they keep me like that long? And it and it and I was already there for over thirteen hours. But it, it didn't end there. They took me to a room um, where this woman interrogated me. She took me to a room and she told me, we know everything. You can't lie to us. If you lie to us, we'll ban you for five years. So you have to be honest about everything. Um, she asked me a lot of bizarre questions like, what do you think of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict? You know, how am I going to really? sit there? Yeah. How am I going to sit there in a room with an Israeli, like an Israeli, whatever she is, if she's in the IDF, if she's in the police, border patrol, I don't know. And, and answer this question to her face, like, um, and, and at this point, like, I, I don't, I mean, like, I can't sit there and just be like, I think it's, I think it's perfect. Everything's fine. Like, cause that, that's blatantly lying. Like, she said, if I lie and, and they know everything, then then they won't let me in. So I felt like I had to be honest to some degree because also I forgot to say this earlier. They had like a, a file of stuff on her desk of like a bunch of information about me online, like articles that I've written uh, or articles that I've been quoted in. Um, I saw something like the first page I saw was like the banner CSI, which is a uh, the College of Staten Island's newspaper, and they had an article there. So I was like, okay, well, I can't sit here and, and just blatantly lie. If she told me they're going to ban me for five years, that's my worst fear. And they had all these articles on me. It was like a very thick file of, like, papers. I, I didn't get to sift through it, but just from looking at it from the top and knowing information about CSI, SJP, I would just say, oh, um, 
so what do you think of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict? I would answer, I would answer truthfully, you know, like, uh, but very vaguely at the same time, like, I think that everyone should have access to the same, you know, human rights, equal rights for everybody, regardless of uh, race, religion, ethnic background, things like that. And then when answering things like that, she's like, really? Because I don't think you're telling the truth. I feel like you're lying. Um, I don't think you're being honest with me. I don't feel like that's something that, that you support, which is, is strange because that's that's exactly what I, I call for in, in any form of activism I do. That's what SJP's mission statement is. Um, and then she brought up SJP. She asked me if Jews were allowed to join Students for Justice in Palestine, um, or if it's only for Muslims and Arabs. Uh, and I said, no, of course Jews are allowed to join. There are Jews in the club. She accused me again of, of saying, like, I don't think you're being honest with me. I said, okay, but I am. Um, and then she asked me, what would, what, what would you do to fix the Israeli-Palestinian conflict? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know God. what she's, I don't know what to say at this point. Like, I, I, for everything that she asked me, I try to dodge it initially by saying, oh, that's like, I, I, I'm just one person. I, I don't have, like, the authority to say how I feel, how, what I want. Like, I don't know enough about this. Or that's a very vague and broad question. What do you mean by that? Uh, but she would, like, force me to answer every time. Like, she would, kept, she would keep answering it, rephrasing it, getting, getting louder, looking at me in, like, a threatening way until I'm forced to answer. And I said, oh, I don't know, just giving everyone, like, equal rights. Um, and, and I began to stammer, like, at that point. I mean, looking back, there's a lot of things I wish... I didn't say not that it would have made a difference because I knew I now I know that by that point, they definitely made the decision to not let me in. I, I guess they just wanted to milk it as much as possible and get information out of me. So I, I said something about or that just to humiliate you and yeah. and and maybe plant a seed that you would not consider ever coming back. Yeah, I, I definitely humiliation. I, I didn't even bring that up or think about it because it's something I experienced before um, twice. Like I'm, I'm always humiliated and always, and, and I always uh, felt that they're like planting that seed that they don't want us to come back. They want it to make it a grueling experience. So we, so we were like, okay, this is not even worth it. Like actually there was one guy with his family there. They gave, they gave him and his entire family entry visas except for his wife. So they all, that, this is the person I was talking about earlier with children who were crying because they were hungry and thirsty and there was nothing there. And he said, if I knew this was going to happen, I wouldn't have come to Palestine. It's not worth it going if, if I'm going to go through this every single time. So, so definitely, like, that's just a given. That's why I didn't mention it. You're listening to the Electronic Intifada podcast. Visit us online at electronicintifada.net or follow us on Twitter at Intifada. The Electronic Intifada. Intifada Electronica. Electronic Intifada. Going back to what I was saying earlier, I said something along the lines of occupation. And she's like, why do you say occupation? Where did you get this from? Who taught you this word? And I said, this is just what I learned in college in America in my international law class. Uh, I, I thought it was like, it's just a legal term. That's what everyone says about it. She's like, no, you may think it's an occupation. I don't think it's an occupation. I said, okay. Um, and then she asked me, what do I think about the Israeli army? Um... And 
I, I kept trying to be good. I kept trying to give them the answers they wanted. Um, it's not like I, I obviously don't stand by everything I said, but at this point, it's 1 a.m. Um, I'm trying to go in, and even if I can't get let in, I'm trying to, you know, I'm like feared for my safety at this point. Um, so I tell them, oh, um, it's an army just like every other army, and like any army in the world can like there there can be abuse of power and everything like that and i just don't think it's good when things like that happen um and then she asked me she's like the idf never abuses their power what are you talking about can you name an instance where where they have or like or why do you feel like why do you say that i'm like oh, i don't know i'm just i'm just kind of like afraid because one time um last year in the village next to where i was staying i was staying in isawiya in jerusalem um, Muhammad Abu Khdir's cousin was staying in a village near that, or a city, I don't know what, what it's called exactly in English, near the, near where I was staying, um, and Tariq Abu Khdir, and he was, he was beat up by the army for no reason, and he was returned to America, and she's like, so why do you know this, she had, she told me, why do you know this information, but don't you know about, like, all these Israelis who were hurt and killed and kidnapped and whatever, and I said, oh yeah, I know about that, but I'm just mentioning this specifically because it happened near me and I was an American citizen in in that area at the time and I felt like you know like he was an American citizen as well this can happen to everybody so I just felt like it hit close to home and she said no I think you're being selective about what news you watch um how did you know about this uh because I don't think I I don't think it's it's a common information I said what are you talking about it was all over the news and she's like, no, it wasn't. It wasn't on any news. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, if you were watching the correct news, you'd know about all the bad things that happened to Israelis and, and Jewish people. And I said, I was very confused. Like, I don't know what she was saying at that point because it was a very popular story. Like, it was gaining traction on on social media and on news and everything. And, and I just, I would just be like, okay. I would just kind of like go along with what she was saying. And then she asked me, um, what do you think about what happened in Gaza last summer? Uh, At this point, like, I just wanted to burst into tears. I I was in Palestine when that when that happened. And. And it was like extremely heartbreaking, you know, seeing everyone around me feeling so helpless, like. 2,000, over 2,000 people were killed. 500 of them are children. This isn't what I answered. And and this is things that, that you know, but this is like an extremely emotional, like soft spot to hit. Like they knew where to hit you, where it hurts. Um, but still, I tried to be good. I tried to answer them. Um, well, it's unfortunate when any innocent like person dies. Um, I don't think anyone... Like anyone who's innocent deserves to be killed, and then she she accused me of lying again. I said I, she was like, "Tell me how you really feel. Tell me the truth. Because if you don't tell me the truth, you're gonna be banned for five years." And I know that she knew that that's like, like I know that she doesn't want that answer. She wants me to to say something more. Um, so I said, like I, I still stand by what I say. I don't think. Um, any innocent person should be killed. I mourn the loss of any innocent life, but clearly 
it was disproportionate which innocent lives were lost the most, which which people were affected the most, um, the Palestinians. And I, I, I don't know if I'm going in order anymore because, like I said, it's very, like, traumatic and... Uh, and, and just being asked all these, like, string of questions right after each other. But eventually she mentioned, like, why do you, why are you, like, an SJP, why are you, whatever. And I said, oh, okay, because I'm Palestinian. I want to be in a club that um, has something to do with my culture, my people, and everything like that. And she said, you're not a Palestinian. I said, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> I, I am a Palestinian. How am I not a Palestinian? She said, you live in America and you were born in Jordan, so why don't you call yourself a Jordanian? I said, well, both of my parents are Palestinian. All my grandparents on all on both sides, all four of them, were born in Palestine. My father was born in Palestine. And I would have been born in Palestine, too, if it wasn't for the conflict. Um, but she said, no, but you weren't, so you're not a Palestinian. And I said, that doesn't change. Like, being born somewhere doesn't change what you, what you are. Um, when it comes to Israel... A lot of Israelis aren't born in Israel, right? So, but but they come and claim Israeli citizenship, and and they're and then they're considered Israelis. So why are they considered Israelis if they aren't born in Israel? If they're born in Brooklyn, if they're born in New York, and they move there and they can be Israelis, but I can't I can't be a Palestinian. And she just looked very like shocked and dumbfounded that I answered this question. Um, and then she told me, okay, I know that you're not going to Palestine to go to Jerusalem. I know where you've been before the past two times that you went. I know every city that you go to because uh, when I go through the checkpoints, they do take my passport. They do look at the visa. I don't know if they scan it, but I wasn't going to like lie to her because I don't know what information they have. And the worst thing to do at that point is to be caught in a lie. So she asked me, like, truthfully, where are you going? And I said, OK, I, I am honestly I am honestly going to spend most of my time in Jerusalem. And I really did want to go to Haifa and Yaffa and Akka, all these places in 48. But I also want I also want to go to Ramallah. Um, I want to see Ramallah, maybe Bethlehem, you know, places like that. Because I know they know Palestinians go there, even though they tell us, like as American citizens, like don't go to the West Bank. She asked me where I, where I went to last year. And I answered, like, the places in the West Bank that I've been to. What I recall mostly is in the West Bank um, is going to Ramallah and Nablus last year. I didn't go to Hebron because it was on lockdown. I didn't go to Bethlehem. Um, I, didn't go, I didn't really travel that much because checkpoints were j- just hell last year during, like, the offensive on Gaza. It was very, like, difficult. And I wasn't about to go, like, have fun or, like, tour like go on a tour of Palestine and in such like a, a dire like time I just went through uh, I was just in Nablus because I was teaching there I was volunteering for an organization and I would go through Ramallah to get back to Jerusalem every week um, to see my family there and I also went to Betixa my village but she kept saying no I know I know you went to somewhere else but I was honestly coming up blank and I still am coming up blank right now if I did go anywhere else. So I told her, I'm not lying. This is where I remember being. You say you know exactly where I've been. Okay, if, if you think I've been somewhere else, tell me. And and if it jogs my memory, I won't deny it. But this is honestly where I remember going. I don't remember going anywhere else. Um, so she told me, okay, see, I had to drag that information out of you that you were going to Ramallah. Why didn't, 
why didn't you tell me this from before and everything? And I just said, like, I, I didn't really know what to say. I said, okay, I was just scared. Like, I, I, I didn't know, like, what to say. Um, and then she told me, okay, so I know the reason for your visit isn't just tourism or visiting friends and family. Why are you going? But there's honestly, like, no other reason. Even though I volunteered for an organization last year, this year I wasn't planning on doing any of that. I was really just going to going to go see friends and family. But then they started asking me about the friends that I know there. Um, and I gave, like, random names because I didn't want to sell out anybody there um, or get them in trouble. Um, but they... But they they, she didn't really believe me. She was like, oh, how, how have you been in contact with these friends? I said, I don't know, just texting, maybe Facebook, sometimes phone calls. She's like, really? So can I go through your messages? Like my text messages on my phone. Um, I told her no. And she's like, why? Do you have something to hide? I said, no, it's just an invasion of privacy. Like, um, this is a democratic country, right? Why would you go through my my personal messages? These are personal things to me like I don't want anyone to go through them this is just what I'm used to and she said no you have to understand this is a this is a border um you can't hide anything we have to have access to anything that we want to see and and then I told her no you can't go through my messages so then she asked me to log into my Facebook so she can look through my Facebook um like my news feed and my messages and everything and I told her no um I'm not gonna I don't want to I, I don't want to give you permission to log into my Facebook, but she kept like pressing for it. She's like, I'm not going to force you to do anything in like the most threatening way. <laughs> like, I'm not going to force you to do anything, but if you don't open up your Facebook, then it's going to be really bad for you. It's going to be very difficult. I highly suggest you do it uh, over and over. Like, I'm not going to force you, but if you don't, then you're screwed basically, you know? Um, but I, at the, like, I didn't want to, if, if it was going to go bad for me, Okay, like, if they opened up my Facebook, I'm definitely not going to be let in. Um, so opening it wouldn't make it any better. And also, I really didn't want them to see anybody else on my friends list um, that that was in Palestine or that I was supposed to meet up with. or Because I know so many people um, right now who, who are American citizens who are in the West Bank, and they're not exactly supposed to be there, according to Israel. Um, so I didn't let her go through it. And... And she told me, are you sure? I'm, I'm telling you right now, it's very bad if you, if you don't let me log in. Uh, I told her no, and she, and she said okay. Um, then they told me to go back out and wait. Like, waiting after all this. And this was thought, well after 1 a.m. by this point. Yeah. Yeah. Like, around... I, I officially, like, was able to leave Alan by at 2 2 a.m. Um, to something past two, but not after, but I didn't stay after three. Um, three is around when my parent, my mom and my uncle picked me up. So I'm just kind of jumbled about time <clears throat> because, you know, like going back through questioning and waiting, questioning and waiting, it was very, like, it was really confusing. Um, it's very surreal at that point. Yeah, like like being asked, like being in in a, in a room where they ask you, "What do you think about what happened in Gaza?" Like after that, that, that like that's it. Like it just it, it didn't. It felt like uh, like a like a nightmare. Like like I couldn't 
write something like this even. I couldn't make it up. I mean, even the people I know who have experienced being denied, I've never heard of anybody being asked such such questions. Like, like I prepare myself so much. I did delete a lot of my texts. I did deactivate my Facebook. I know what to answer them. Like, I've been through it before, but nothing could prepare me for, for like I said, like, they know where to hit you where it hurts. Um, nothing could prepare me for the amount of information they had for the file, for the files that they had on their desk, uh, for insinuating that I was somehow anti-Semitic or that I didn't allow Jewish people in my club, that I was somehow affiliated with what happened to uh, Le- uh, Leonard Petlock at uh, the Barclay Center, that I beat him up. When, like, if he read the story that he that he read online, he would clearly know, like, I had nothing to do with that. Um, yeah, so everything was just, like, like, confused in my mind. I was trying really hard not to cry. Um, I really didn't want to be weak, but, like, I was also afraid, you know, like, at this point when it's past midnight, even if I am let in, I won't find any place, like, I won't find any kind of transportation to get to where I need to go. Um, and if I'm let back, I was worried about my phone or if I was like sent back to Amman I'm worried about my phone dying Um, how am I going to contact my mom because I don't have service in Alambay besides their Wi-Fi so I can't call anybody on my on my cell phone with a regular number Um, and the Wi-Fi was really really shitty so it was really difficult to contact anybody Um, so yeah like all these like factors around it really like stressed me out and, and made me confused about, like, the timeline of events. Uh, one reason I was able to piece it back together is because I was texting my friends and my dad throughout. Um, and I would delete them instantly, but my but I had my dad and my friends screenshot, um, like, when I would, like, our, our messages, like, after I was, like, not let in. And they sent it back to me, and I went through, like, the time that I sent them each message uh, to just kind of get like a better, a better picture of what exactly happened when. Um, but when they when they told me to wait again, she said I was like, okay, so what are you gonna wait for? Um, she said she has to like report to someone higher, and they make the official decision on whether they're gonna let me in or not. Um, and she told me I can either have a seat. Uh, outside of the office where they were, or I can go back out and sit with everyone else. So at this point, like, the tears were coming. I didn't want to go back out in front of everyone and start crying. (laughs) So I did sit there for a little bit, like, just trying to control myself, regain composure and everything. Uh, But I eventually sat back out with everyone else. And I was, and everyone was asking me, like, what's happening? Why are they doing this to you? Because, Because no one came as early as I did that was still stuck there. And eventually, everybody was, like, let in. Um, I stayed until I was, like, the last person. And they told me the reason they're denying me entry is hostile behavior towards Israel. Um, that, was the, that was the formal definition that they gave you. Yeah, that's the, that's the verbal formal definition that they gave me. Um, so they told me, like, I had to wait. Like, they didn't give me back my passport or anything. They told me I still had to wait. Um, and I said, okay, can I go back to Amman? And they told me, you, don't worry, you'll go back, we'll send you back, but you have to wait. Um, my dad was, like, wasn't buying it. He thought that I was literally going to have to sleep there or be detained or, or be sent back. 
um, in the morning because I don't even know if there was going to be anyone at the Jordanian border that late. Like, they weren't giving me information. Um, so I, I waited again, and she came back out later with this paper that she wanted me to sign. And um, they didn't give me the paper, uh, but it, I remember it said it was, like, something about concerning denial of entry uh, into Israel. And then they had a, a part where it said reasons for denial. Um, and the reason they had was like the formal written reason, aside from the verbal reason, was prevention of illegal immigration considerations. And they told me that um, they can't force me to sign this paper, but I can either sign it and they give it to me to, to keep, or I don't sign it and I can't have the paper. Um, so I said, what does this even mean? This isn't what you told me. You told me I can't be let in because of hostile behavior towards Israel. And she said, okay, well, you can sign it and keep the paper and we'll give you a copy or you don't sign it and you don't get anything. So um, I was like really overwhelmed. I started tearing. I told her I'm not going to sign it. And like the most bizarre thing was that when I was like crying, she started, she tried to comfort me. Like this woman who was interrogating me, yelling at me like, giving me the most threatening looks and who ultimately denied me entry into my homeland was telling me, please don't cry, please don't cry. And then and then she started talking about something in Hebrew to her, to the other um, officer, whoever was there. I don't know, it seemed like they were making fun of me or something. I couldn't understand. But they gave me, like, tissue paper to stop crying. But it was just, like, really, like, it felt really, really, like, up, like, how are you going to do all this and then tell me, oh, please don't cry. Um, and, then, and then she told me, see, I told you that if you didn't let me, if you didn't let me look through your Facebook and through your messages, it would be very difficult and it'd be hard for you and you probably won't be let in. Um, so you can't say I didn't tell you because I told you and that was your decision and this is why this happened. And I, like, I, I don't know what to say. Like, I just couldn't say anything. I was just crying and, and, and trying to wipe my tears. But they still made me wait more. Um, and then some other guy, the, the higher person that she reported to, came back with, like, a glass of water. And he was like, oh, do you want water? And I said, like, through tears, I told him, no, I don't want to drink any water. And he said, uh, please take it. I said, no, I don't want it. And he said, I'm usually not this generous. Please take this water. Like, in a really, like, sweet, like, nice tone um, and he's like, I promise we didn't poison it. We didn't like mean to, to do this, you know, like we don't want it. We don't want you to be sad. It just felt like, <laughs> like really, really f***ed up at that point. Like acting like, you know, they're the, they're the good guys. All they're trying to do is help me. But because of my stupid decision not to log, log into Facebook, like that's why I'm not let in. You're listening to the Electronic Intifada podcast. Visit us online at electronicintifada.net or follow us on Twitter at Intifada. The Electronic Intifada. Intifada Electronica. Electronic Intifada. Um, and actually later I learned that someone else I know who was denied that reached out to me. Um, the whole thing with like sign this paper. They had the same exact experience except with her. Um, they said she could sign it or not, whatever she chooses, but she could, but either way, she, she could keep the paper, like it was given to her. Um, for me, like I had to, I had to make the choice of whether I get a copy or like if I sign it or if I don't get anything, if I don't, um, 
which is weird. So it's not like a formal thing. Like I, I think they're trying to formalize, or like, like even though it's illegal, I mean, everything they do is illegal. But kind of like legalize the way that they deny people, especially American citizens, when they don't have like any right to do so. Um, but uh, eventually, I was just. Um, waiting to be given back my passport to to go back to um, the Jordanian border and everything. I was using my phone sitting down. Um, like, my passcode was already in. I was just using it. Um, and then someone out of nowhere, like, came from when I was sitting, like, without me noticing, just grabbed my phone from my hand uh, and started going through my pictures. And I said, what are you doing? Don't go through my pictures. Um, I Like, this is private. And, and... Um, I didn't know, I didn't know whether like to take my phone back from him or not. Like, I'm afraid to get too close. And then they say, oh, we felt threatened by her. And then like, I would get shot or like, or like hit or something. Like, like I was the, literally the last person at Allen Bly. I was all alone. Like, I felt like they could do anything to me. No one would even know. They can say that they can claim anything and no one would even know. Like people have been shot there before. Like I, we all know Israel is capable of doing everything. And it seems like weird to say now like who who am I? Like am I? I'm not even that important for them to try to like. I don't know, like kill me at the border, but but these are things that were going through my head. Like I didn't want to get too close to him, but um, but I like it. I like he's going through my pictures. It's like private stuff. So eventually, I just take my phone back from him, and he's like, "I just want to see if you took pictures of the terminal." I said, "Okay, so you can ask me that." Yeah, I do have one one or two pictures of something I took and the terminal shows, but here they are. I deleted both of them. Okay. Uh, uh, like that's it. Like there's nothing else. And like, I deleted it in front of him, like with my phone in my hand after I snatched it. Cause like eventually I, I like, I didn't want him to, to see everything like on my phone. And then he, he took it from my hand again. Um, and he said, okay, well I have to see if there's any videos on your phone of the terminal. I said, okay, there isn't, here's my videos. You can clearly see that, that there isn't anything, and, like, it's so stupid, because even if I, if I deleted something, even if I took pictures of the terminal before, they can go in my deleted folder, like, there's ways to hide it, but clearly, like, he wasn't actually trying to see if I took pictures of the terminal, like, they just wanted to go through my phone, and, and he took it at a time when I was using it, so, because he knows that I'm not, like, he doesn't have to ask me for the passcode, because he knows I wouldn't give it to him, um, but, like, like, the fact that they literally, like, took it from my hand, everything was just really weird. Like, I know how brutal and how horrible and how, the, and how disgusting they are, but to the point, like, where they, where they, like, physically take your phone out of your hand while you're using it, like, I didn't expect that. I didn't know anybody that that happened to. Um, eventually, I was given back everything. They, they told me to go back, um... Uh, to the uh, to the bus that was the last bus to Jordan uh, to go to the Jordanian border and even when I was coming in um, with all my luggage there would be a bunch of people there that would that could help you you know like like roll your luggage or put it on some cart or something and they would um and you can tip them or whatever uh, but on the way back there was obviously no one like that so I, they made me like I had to carry all my luggage really slowly and um there were all these like weird obstacles that they had like ropes and and chains and stuff because they were like closing and um and the, and the ground was all messed up 
And then, like, the guy was mad at me for being too slow. Like, even even carrying my luggage back, like, through tears. Um, eventually, I put everything on the bus. And when I had my passport, I looked at it. It, it has a stamp about denied. And it has, like, two red marks across it. And, yeah, I was just sent back on, on the last bus. And I was crying. Everyone was asking me, like... I mean, the show, there was a chauffeur and and someone on the Jordanian border when you're let back in. And one more person on the bus who was there from seven, they were asking me, like, why why don't they let you in? You're an American citizen. They were all, like, really shocked that I, that I couldn't be let in. And, yeah, I just went back to Jordan. Nardine, um, I know that you said that this was one of your biggest fears, that you'd be stopped, interrogated, and, and denied entry to your homeland. Um you're visiting family in Jordan right now. Um, what has this time with your family meant to you? What kind of conversations are you having about what it means to have those fears realized? Uh, and 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 how how are you all coping with this? Um, my family knows how important Palestine is to me. Like, I've only been there when once when I was a baby, and then again in 2013. Um, but in between that time, I, I wasn't able to go to Palestine. I would just come to Jordan. But in 2013, like, after seeing it again for the first time, like, I, I fell in love with it. I mean, I, I like, the Pal like, I've been always doing Palestine solidarity work, and, and the Palestine cause and movement has been very close to me my entire life. But actually being in that area, surrounded by my people, surrounded by, like, like such a change of environment. In Jordan, you can't really even talk about the Palestinian cause, like, even at rallies for Palestine at Gaza, they would hold the Jordanian flag. In America, it's the norm, or now it's slowly changing, but it's been the norm to support Israel. So just being around, like, a society that, like, has the same views and outlook and knows the truth as me and, and being able to see my homeland has been so special and amazing to me. And everyone in Jordan knows um, knows how important it is to me. They know how much I love it. Um and they felt really bad. Like they said, honestly, um, as messed up as it is, uh, like they expected it to eventually happen. They said, what did you think? Like you were going to go and, and do all these things in America and that you were going to be let in. Like we're surprised they even let you in the first or second time. They thought that I was lucky that um, that I was even sent back safely, that I wasn't like kept in a jail cell overnight or that or that they like would let me in and then try to do something to me there. But they also said one profound thing is um, now you're one of us because um, two of my mom's sisters um, are married to men who are considered to be from Gaza. They're originally from Yaffa, but they're refugees in Gaza. They were refugees in Gaza, even though they were born and raised their entire life in Jordan. And um, my mom's sisters are Jordanian citizens. Because they're considered to be from Gaza, their kids don't get any Jordanian citizenship. And it's already difficult for Jordanian citizens of Palestinian origin to enter Palestine. But um, these people, if you're considered to be from Gaza, there's absolutely no way in hell that you'll ever, ever like dream of going to Palestine, of going through the border. Um, so a bunch of my cousins... Because two of my mom's sisters, each of uh, one of them has six kids and one of them has three, so um, nine of my cousins could never even dream of like seeing, seeing their homeland. And the only reason I was able to go back was because of my American citizenship. 
So now being denied, I was just put in the same place that they've been in in their entire lives. Um, I don't know. So that just like really struck me like now you're one of us. Now we're like on the same level, you know, like the only privilege that I had um, was having my American citizenship. That's the only reason that I was enabled to go in. And, and now that that was taken, um, I had the same status as them. So I felt like I, I can't really feel sorry for myself. This is clearly what like, I mean, everyone should have the right to see their homeland, but this is what millions of Palestinians in refugee camps and in different places around the world are facing. Um, now my American citizenship doesn't give me any privilege when it comes to Israel anymore. And I'm in the same position um, as they are. I already faced my biggest fear when it when it came to activism and stuff in terms of like being denied at the border. Um, now that that fear is gone, I can be even more like upfront and forefront and vocal and um, just really strong about my activism and about my beliefs because they told me that they didn't give me like a, a, a they didn't say you're banned for five years or ten years or whatever. That's that's what she would threaten before like before she questioned me. But when they told me I was denied, they said that um, I'm denied by all borders of Israel. Don't try to come back. Don't try to fly in until um, unless the Israeli embassy in the United States grants me specific permission to enter. And are you going to try to um, try to go to the embassy when you get back? Um, no, I don't think so. I, I don't think it's going to be fruitful. Um, anybody else that I know that has faced this and have tried to speak to the American embassy, either in Jordan or the Israeli embassy in the U.S., um, nothing good came of it. They weren't allowed to go in. And even for people for, like, much less offenses. I mean, there's people that they don't have any, like, political background. Maybe their last name sounds like someone, uh, like, in Palestine who's maybe known for something. Or maybe, like, nothing at all. Maybe that sol the soldier or the, or the officer that interrogated that them that day was just in a bad mood. Like, people who who are a lot more, uh, like, accomplished than me. People who, like... <laughs> Who have um, who have like a lot more backing are people who just who don't have like that same political background. They're not they're not uh, they're not like let in eventually. So I mean, if the Israeli embassy was going to investigate me, I think that would give them an even uh, an even bigger reason not to let me in. So I really don't want to subject myself to that again. Like I f I feel that like I feel wrong for even subjecting myself to the board like the Israeli borders in the first place um and I, I don't think it's gonna anything good's gonna come of it it's just gonna make matters worse or they're just gonna take me through hell again just for the same exact outcome um we just have about a minute left but if you um can tell me a little bit about what you're looking forward to in the coming school year as you remain actively involved with students for justice in Palestine um how will this experience this summer inform your activism going forward um i really just i'm going to go back as motivated and as strong as possible um in new york city we're trying to create regional networks we're trying to consolidate everybody and really like go back into the community because um, as much as important it is for everybody to be involved in Palestine solidarity activism, 
um, the people who face the worst kind of circum, like the worst kind of outcomes and and the worst consequences, are Palestinian Americans like me, uh, people, anyone with or like Palestinian people with Palestinian origins in general. So I really think it's important to go back to the Palestinian community um, and and work with them and strengthen the bond between our activism and our communities, um, and and just like continue working for for a liberated Palestine, for a free Palestine, they're going to come after us no matter what. Uh, like people, who, like I said, who don't have political backgrounds are denied. They're going to, like, whether we speak up or we don't, eventually, like, we're all, we're all in the same, like, bucket to them. So um, just going back, like, knowing that uh, nothing... Nothing can stop us. And, and even like this, this biggest fear of not being let in, already so many like millions of Palestinians face that reality. So we shouldn't let our privilege cloud us from that. We should continue working together uh, like SJP and beyond and, and a bunch of organizations to, um, to continue working for a liberated Palestine for everybody. Even if I'm eventually like one day by some miracle let in, that's not going to make me go back and stop. I don't regret my activism, I would continue doing the same exact thing because um, we want a free Palestine for all, like not just for some. And uh, with that message, I think uh, we could really galvanize uh, the community and uh, the solidarity uh, organizations in New York and, and across the nation to continue working as hard as ever for um, Palestine liberation and human rights and justice and freedom. Nardine Kiswani, again, we're so sorry this happened to you, um, and, and thank you for making the time to speak with me today. We look forward to following your important work in New York and eventually, as you mentioned, in a liberated Palestine. Nardine, thank you so much for being with us on the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to uh, talk to me about this story. I really appreciate it. That's it for the Electronic Intifada podcast. For news, information, cultural features and reviews, and pointed opinion and analysis, visit us online at electronicintifada.net, where you can also post comments and sign up for our daily email digest. Follow us on Twitter at Intifada. Radio stations are free to use this podcast, and if you're listening on iTunes, support the Electronic Intifada podcast by rating it and leaving a review. On behalf of all of us at the Electronic Intifada, Thank you for listening.